Hello, my name is Brett Wills, and welcome to the Disability Den, a TDC podcast. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Mr. Kelly McDonald, who is not only a dear friend, but has been a mentor for many years. Kelly is the co-host of Kelly & Company, a radio program on AMI-audio, along with Ramia Amuthan. Kelly began his broadcasting career with CJCS Radio Stratford, but also has a passion for theatre. In his spare time, Kelly directs Out of Sight Productions, a London, Ontario-based theatre company he founded 10 years ago. He also has a passion for sports, specifically baseball, which I don't think we are going to get into because, to be perfectly honest with you, I am not a baseball fan. (laughs) Mr. McDonald, how are you today? I am great, Brett. And I was going to say, okay, well, man, can we make up a good chunk of the interview baseball? But no, I I know it's not not your thing. Thank you for having me on. As I alluded to, you worked for CJCS Radio Stratford. What was that experience like working as a person with a visual impairment in a primarily sighted radio station? When I left school, we were told, you'll be lucky if you get a job in your home community. And all of us, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to, but we knew that wasn't reality. We knew that working at Fanshawe's radio station when we were on the FM broadcast station, we were reaching out to about 40,000 people, more than we'd ever, ever probably broadcast to in our lives some of us were lucky to, to do better, you know, better than that even, but a very small majority. I knew the struggle as a blind person going out to try to get work in the industry. I went to every radio station up and down about 140, 50 miles range of London at the time and got asked by so many program directors, why are you here? If, if the money I can pay you is just going to cover your transportation to get here, to stay overnight for a weekend shift on a Saturday night. And I said, because I need to, to get a track record working, I need the experience. I need to put hands on to find out. And at the time we were really getting a flood of systems like media touch, the Scott system. These were the on air onboard computers that were now starting to run the radio stations. So, I needed to find out about accessibility. Well, the people at the stations couldn't really help me. Most of the engineering had no idea of accessibility. Would they allow me to put a screen reader program on to read any of these screens? I knew better than that from our situation at Fanshawe where we use a system called MediaTouch. And when I was there, I I knew I would have to do a lot of this homework. So I spent a number, I say a number, about what four years looking to get a job exploring the avenues. I had my cousin reach out to CJCS Radio because he knew the owner through business and start probing the idea that, hey, my cousin can get a help program through the government to come in here and he explained the whole work record thing. This was a station that didn't have any announcers on the weekend live. Well, what they decided to do was run an on-air shift for me Saturday nights, overnight, so basically no harm, no foul. I was able to use a Braille printer to print out my sheets so I'd know what music I was playing, when the stop sets were, so that I could stop, know exactly how to keep myself on time. Now, this is uh, more than, this is what now? That was 01 that this started. Funny enough, I had a bit of pushing back and forth with the program director there at the time to, to kind of get this thing lined up. And I, I had started with him. The owner kind of 
overruled. So my start with the program director was a little bit rough and, and, you know, we would later on get along better. And even after I got my job uh, afterwards, subsequently would still talk once in a while about the industry. Um, But it was a bit of a rough patch at the beginning. And as I went through it, uh, I think what smoothed it over is the newspaper came in one day to do a story on the blind guy that's on the air. And it, funny enough, that story still cycles around schools as part of their English course uh, for, for reading. Anyway, the experience itself, once we got it up and running, Braille printer and all, was really handy for me. I would do overnight Saturday. The fluky thing about it is by the time we got everything in place, I was to start it on Labor Day weekend, 2001. After Labor Day that weekend, I started my first production work at AMI, which at the time was Voice Print, the reading service, and I was a studio producer, which going back to college, producing at the time in the way of what we what we called producing, which was really technician work, recording stuff, uh, editing stuff, wasn't accessible at my college. We used programs that saw and Pro Tools that I couldn't actually manipulate and use. So I, second year, did a makeup program. And when I say that, uh, really it was a project that I was able to do for the second year program as an equivalency so that I could pass because I pitched that it's kind of unfair, the setup. It's not my fault. The industry works that way. And I could never go out and compete with any of my co-mates for a job in production. Fast forward four years, less than that, because I unknown to me, they were putting that software in to play at VoicePrint slash AMI at the time. So when I approached them, finally, I had a chance to do summer work, filling in for the guys who were uh, the technicians doing the work. I did a couple of shifts, and on my third day in, I was asked if I was available to do a full-time job starting in September. So you want to talk about getting himself locked into Monday to Friday being in Toronto, running back to London, and then getting myself to Stratford for Saturday night, working, and then getting back into Toronto Monday to Friday. And a lot of that, Brett, was because we believed, we hoped, when I first went there for my first interview, even before I was doing Summer Phil, there was talk of putting an office in London. So I was gun-ho on that. I, I was that guy who didn't really want to leave my home permanently, but I also recognized if I was going to work in radio, um, I, I, a best-case scenario, I could get a job maybe in southwestern Ontario and, uh, and had a couple of situations that may have yielded that, but, but never did. So working there was really nice. I was all by myself overnight. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And... You know, even so, after we finished the three-month um, program that I was on through the government, uh, where they paid most of my salary and the station had to pay a little bit, quite frankly, I was getting asked back to do a couple of shifts when they needed certain fill-in uh, over Christmas holidays of uh, 2001, and I think I did one during 2002. I went back there and did something for them, but uh, it, it really was nice. It's not something very nice to have on my resume. It's really cool that you mentioned belief and hope. And I really find it interesting that you talk about working on your own. And it leads me to my next question. And that's about Kelly and Company. You recently celebrated your thousandth show of Kelly and Company with your wonderful co-host, Ramya. What do you attribute your success to? 
we don't really know. We, when it comes to the success of the program, we couldn't say this is the formula to put, roll out a successful show. I contribute, you know, my role, Ramya does her thing, and every single contributor that jumps on board, community reporters that we have on the program that bring us news of their regions, contributors that speak to the many topics we have, lifestyle, health, and leisure, which is what our basic focus is, throw in a bit of sports when we can. Um, we feel that is the contribution. Um, they kick it around. Sometimes they say it's the interplay between Ramya and myself. Uh, Sharon Caddy was our original host with me for a while, and we were lucky enough to have the same kind of interplay. Um, she left the program. Ramya came in, and we've been really blessed. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, and then we've got these guys behind scenes, Matt Agnew, our technical producer, and Jeff Ryman. He is the other producer. Ramya and him do co-producing duties. And I think for me, it's the fact that we all know what is a Kelly and Company thing to put on the show. We all call it the Kelly and Company way. Just the things that how we use as our measuring stick for what belongs on the show, the kind of personalities we, we want people to bring out. Now, and, and that being said, we're not going to ask somebody, hey, do something that's not you. We want them to be themselves. But we like to believe that we open the door enough with our presentation on the program, with the conversations we have, that people relax. And that's what we want. We want the listeners to feel easy, relaxed, part of the conversation. The other key thing is as we started doing the show, AMI is not known for getting tons of feedback. They, they do surveys to find things out, and that helps a lot with how we can schedule our programming, design the shows that are on AMI-TV or AMI-audio. But it doesn't necessarily tell us what fully works and doesn't work. We don't get those complaints really often saying, look, I don't like when you do this, or I absolutely love when you do this. So one of the things that I know I asked my team, let's not try to knee-jerk. Oh, someone said this. Well, let's respond to that. Let's also not try to assume anything because we don't hear anything. Let's be satisfied with what we like. Let's roll out the show we want to do and be happy and feel very fortunate we have the platform to do so. And just to say, what would the listener want me to ask? What topic would the listener want our uh, veterinarian talking about? And we allow her to say that to herself and allow her to do that. Rummy and I try to do that. Uh, Matt tries to present clips with the audio quality that he stands for. Make the sound of the program, the audio quality he wants put out there that he's comfortable with, that he likes, that he would want to listen to, assuming that's what the listener wants to hear. Jeff finds us guests to speak on subjects uh, that come into the program, external guests, and they are, when he's measuring, okay, I got this person I could approach, this subject we could talk about and bring somebody on for, is that a Kelly and Company thing? Yeah, it is. We are lucky, Brett, because we have such a wide berth to work in. Lifestyle, health, uh, you know, there's so much, so many ways we can go, so many things under that umbrella. And as I always say, it's like showing up for class at 2 o'clock learning so much, having some laughs, being the class clowns, and knowing that there are people riding along with us 
and respecting they're giving us their time, time they can't get back. Right. I think that's so important in the sense that you guys are pretty much a Swiss army knife. If I can. Yeah. 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 I think we, and, and I know some people would say, okay, well, does that make your job harder because you've got to know a bunch about a bunch of things or does it make it easier because you can just do anything? It's like that kind of one of those TV shows that can go sci-fi on you. So anything goes on it. And I, I, I say to people, I think it allows us to force ourselves to know a little bit about everything, but we don't have to pretend to be experts. And when we don't know something, we assume someone else doesn't know it. So it's okay for me to ask. I mean, the person might sit there and, uh, really? You're asking me that? You don't have a clue? No, I don't. I wouldn't ask. And I had to learn, don't, don't sit here and pretend you know things. Don't ask a question. But first, before they can answer, tell them everything you know about it. And, and am I right here? And by that time, they've forgotten the question you asked because you were too busy flexing your arms saying, well, I'm going to ask you about this, but this is what I know. And that really hurts. It's whether I know or not, I'm not there to prove to everybody in the audience, Kelly's smart. He knew that. You know, most cases, I don't know a darn thing. So I, I want the person to tell me and I want to be listening be, and, and interested just as much as the listener. We both know that AMI isn't a large station, but we no. also both know that it's not a small station. Do you think that the community feel and the closeness of working with so few coworkers has helped in the success of AMI? When I started there, there was um, across the country, I believe, 19 people. And now AMI, uh, and again, I should know this number, I believe we're 128 or maybe just into 30 uh, staff across the country. So I I don't want to pretend, especially when we see the the stuff going on in media outlets around Canada, uh, North America, and the world, oh, we're tiny. Well, we're not. Uh, There are many other stations I know that still are that. 8, 12, 15 people in small places. So when you think about, do I know, am I connected enough with the TV side or with AMI Tele in Montreal or or even some of the gang on the other shows on AMI-audio, I, I don't feel that has a lot to do with any given what 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 makes each of our shows because I think – you're all trying to be your own. You're all trying to find your own space um, out there, uh, uh, you know, for people to come to you for whatever reason, go to that show for whatever reason. So I think you're working on different planes with coming at things in different ways. Is there things that are similar? Is there things we can learn from other programs, other people all the time. Uh, I'm a big believer in the mentor thing and not even just the mentor thing, Brett, but having the people out there that are realistic that you follow. One of the things that really frustrates me is we all seem to get interested in the big guns out there, but there's always some broadcaster as, as I grew up that I liked that I thought, geez, I wish I had a voice like him. Oh, I like the way he went to the commercial break. Oh, I love when he brings it back. To me, that's so important, and they're just the basic format. The Whatever the station says, and they tell you, know these formatics, and this is how you operate. Well, they bring their own thing to the table, but it's important for the consistency. And when I asked my team, guys, let's just 
get better at what we're doing. Let's not change so much, but part of our routine is to, hey, I'm curious about this. I wonder if the audience would be. Yeah, I think there would be. How could we roll this out and maybe do a few weeks where we feature some of this stuff? Well, let's try this way or that way. It all still falls into the Kelly and Company way. We have a, a week that we call Back to Basics. And Back to Basics originally started from our technical producer, Matt Agnew, wondering some things about blindness and low vision. And when people find out they, they are losing their vision or people find out at a young age, they have a vision challenge, whatever it might be. So we started, which allowed us to do subsequent weeks once a year along the same line, but we've moved it forward. And that's how we look at it. We've done tech features where we ask our tech experts on the show to go off the normal path of what they do and maybe for a week, a month, whatever it might be, feature a certain kind of story that they're, they're, they're looking into. Uh, when I say story, I mean subject matter that uh, allows them to tell a story about uh, along the same theme told by a couple of different people over a bunch of different segments since our show is block segment form basically uh, for, for the two hours we're on the air. So I really believe in that kind of consistency for an audience. I believe by us not changing stuff, by us having our vision of what the show is and individually how we want things to sound and whether you have that person that you use as a mentor and uh, not even the mentor, but the person out there on air, you want to sound like, and basically I'm talking just their format, just the way they handle things, just the way they read, the way they speak, the pacing, all those little details. Um, and I always like to say how they control the show. Hey, listen, I, I promised you that we weren't going to touch on baseball, but uh, I, I think I've lied to you. Um, <laughs> That's a good lie. Yeah, no, um, and uh, you know some of the people that I know as well. Uh, we're, we're kind of in uh, a respective uh, group, so to speak, together. But uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your love for baseball and why you love baseball as much as you do. Um. Baseball became an interest because as a kid, I was not really musical. I, I thought I wanted to be, learned how to play piano a little bit, trumpet and, and baritone, but I always really strived because I wanted to play the, play the organ. I loved listening to baseball games because of the organ. Then I started to learn about the sport. I started to absolutely adore Tom Cheek, the late Blue Jay broadcaster. Uh, I love the way Tom did things, the way he spoke. Again, going back to what I said earlier, I love the way the man controlled a broadcast. Um, so uh, along the way, I learned all about baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays. This would have been like 78 or 9. So like their second or third year, they existed as a team I had been following. Now, I got a little disgruntled when the strike happened in, later on in the 90s and 94 uh, and stopped bothering with baseball for a, a while. I got back into it, and as much as I feel it's a slow game and would love to add some rules that would speed the game up that people really wouldn't like, um, uh, I, I remember the days when pitchers pitched eight innings. They started a game and they pitched eight innings unless things totally fell apart. You know, They were in there for a long haul. If they could do it, they'd stay in the whole game. So I do remember that. So I kind of, yeah. And those guys hurt their arms and things happened too. And uh, I remember when Tommy John surgery first came to be. Um, so 
I like that. I think it was a sport I could follow. Uh, it was the first thing. My family was a football family, and the first thing I made my father take me to that, uh, that was on my initiative was baseball in Toronto, uh, even though I had gone to see uh, Montreal Alouettes games in Montreal. And then hockey I got very interested in for some particular reason, but mainly junior and wanted to go watch the London Knights on their Friday night games at the old Treasure Island Gardens in London and just loved it. Once again, had to go up and meet the uh, organist, then had to meet Gary Allen Price, the the voice of, of, of the London Knights, uh, and eventually would meet Jerry Howarth uh, one day in Toronto when I was about 14 years old, and Jerry has been my mentor uh, for a number of years now uh, when it comes to talking broadcasting and, and stuff like that. I reached back out to him when I was do- working for AMI-TV and was lucky enough to be able to go down and do stories once a month at Rogers Center with the players and had to come up with ideas. So we'd have fun doing that. And I'd go up to the press box and loved watching the games from there. It was a lot of fun. But I think for me, the big experience when it comes to baseball was as a child during spring break, I always wanted to go to Florida and watch them do spring training. And uh, about five years ago, I had the opportunity to go and hang out and watch spring training, uh, watch several games in Dunedin, be down on the field. And some would say, wow, that must have been great. You had access to the players. The, the best part of it was, Brett, talking to the media guys. Richard Griffin, Bob Elliott, all these wonderful men, and of course, Jerry Howarth and some of the other guys that I've had the opportunity to meet. Um, it was absolutely wonderful to pick their brains. And I appreciate your perspective on spring training. It's something that's on my bucket list. And as I'm 36 years old, I probably would have appreciated it a little bit sooner in my life, but it's still something that I would love to do maybe after I retire. We're about to wrap up here, Kelly, but I I need to ask you one more question. Certainly. Finish this sentence. If Kelly McDonald wasn't working in radio for AMI, he would be doing blank. Time in the penitentiary, probably. (laughs) I've always said probably I'd have gotten myself in trouble with my big mouth or because I would have sold the wrong used car. That was another thing that I thought I'd probably get into at one point was car sales. Um, You know, as much as I love acting, I I tend to put it in a more realistic place. And uh, with running the theater troupe, as much as I enjoy it, I, I might have seen myself doing that. But the fear I have is, When you love stuff and you end up working and getting paid for it, it becomes a job. And community theater is the one thing that I think I've always loved the idea of keeping it as totally a hobby. So I I guess probably outside of, like I said, probably getting myself in trouble with my running my mouth, um, probably maybe car sales. You know, I'm not sure I can see you as a car sales guy. Um, (laughs) Because I feel you're a little too honest, and I feel like car sales people are quite the opposite. But again, I, I might not last, right? I might not last, but I, I know I used to be awesome at people would come and say, My car's making a noise, go for a ride with me. And then they'd get mad when I told them what it likely was and how much it would cost. And they'd say, They'd pull over and say, Get out. Hey, Kelly, I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of The Disability Den. You're literally a rock star. You're, you're a friend. You're, you're, you're a mentor, like I said, and I really appreciate the, 
sitting down with you under any circumstance. I'm your host, Brett Wills. This podcast has been brought to you by the Disability Channel and is made possible by the Introduction to Accessible Content Production Program in partnership with Mohawk College and Alware Limited. Thanks, Brett.